Chris, how you feeling? I'm good, man. Just ended the day, man. Started at nine. In my own therapy session. Just okay. my last client at uh, my seven o'clock cancel, so I was kind of good with that. But so yeah. from like eleven to uh, seven, so yeah, long day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what's up, man. That's what's up. I definitely appreciate you taking time out no to come on here and and have this this conversation. I know we're gonna be talking about relationships, uh, but especially discussing it from a, a male perspective, an informed male perspective, a therapist perspective. So, right. you know, I'm, I've realized more and more how how needed it is to to combat the narratives, especially about the black man, right? Uh, and and how we emote, how we enter relationships, and, and what have you. Right. Uh, so I'm just going. We're just going to hop right into it, man. I'm glad the Sixers not playing tonight, so I really <laughs> ain't got to. I ain't got to rush. Where you from? I'm in Maryland, originally from New York. Maryland, okay. Maryland now, so. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. So just do the introduction. So peace, peace, peace. I am Philip Roundtree, and you're tuned into episode 26 of hashtag You Good Man. So in this episode, I'm joined by Paul Bache, right? Yeah, Bache. Yep. All right. You prefer Bache? Either one. You know, I had to I had to go with Paul because my, my license is under Paul. So if you yeah. look up Bache Williams, you ain't gonna see that on my license. So you know, for our fellow clinicians, be like, is he real? Is he really licensed? Yeah. You ain't gonna find Bache. Yeah. Bro. Either one is is good with me. So when you're in the streets, what it is Bache? It depends on the relationship. You know, it's it's you okay. Know, friends, close friends, call me Bache. Some call me Paul. You know, it just depends on, you know, it's always a mix. Okay. All right. So I'll just, I'll call you by Shay. All right. Cool. That's cool. cool. All right. All right. All right. So in, in this episode, I am joined by Paul Bache Williams. He's a fellow therapist, a mental health advocate, and the author, of, the author of Dear Future Wife, A Man's Guide and Women's Reference to Healthy Relationships. So once again, brother, I definitely appreciate you coming on. And reasoning is especially the climate of where we are in today's society with, with social media. Um, we, we have more, I don't want to say we have more insight into people's relationships, right? But we're looking through the mirror, right. right? We're looking through the glass and we're able to see, we're able to critique. And, you know, I think we're, we're struggling to truly understand what's a healthy relationship versus an unhealthy relationship, right. uh, especially as men. Um, so first, before we before we even delve into all that, just let me know a little bit about yourself. Let the people know a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, like you said, I'm Paul Bashay Williams. I'm a licensed clinical social worker in Maryland, also licensed in D.C. Um, I work with individuals. I work with couples. I work with kids, adults, groups, everything. My youngest is like, I think, five uh, and the oldest is 72. So I see a wide range of depression, anxiety, just adjustment, um, bipolar, uh, anything you can think you can name of, I, I work with. Um, I also work in alternative school, working with young boys who are struggling with um, either addiction or they're dealing with um, in the juvenile system, just making bad choices, got caught up, you know, they're on probation or whatever. So I go into alternative schools twice a week because I love working with that population. Our young black men who are struggling may not have the, the role model, the access to, you know, different mental health um, support. So again, I'm in Maryland. I've been here since sixth grade. So originally from New York. Okay. But so I can't claim New York no more. My my, my yeah. family in New York. My friends in New York can't claim it no more. So I'm yeah. Like, so you know. ditch you ditch the colorful do rag. I know they like the two tone do rags in in right. New York. You know. What I mean? Right. All right. That's 
That's what's up. That's what's up. So my first question is because I'm always intrigued by it, and I get asked it a lot. Why social work as a as a black man? So it's funny because I did a podcast earlier and the same question came up. So as a black man, why social work? Because initially I had no no desire to be in social work. But we grow up in neighborhoods, uh, I guess the ghetto, impoverished, or whatever you want to call it. We grow up, we grow up in those neighborhoods where we have people who are in positions as social workers, maybe not have the degree or licenses or whatever, but they're social workers because you have mentors or you have that, that uncle or you have that mechanic in the neighborhood that's kind of like help the young boy, you know, go a certain way. But growing up in a neighborhood where there was a lot of, uh, of violence, there was drugs and stuff going, um, living there, my mother was the, the property manager. So we moved there in sixth grade. So there was a social worker that came into our neighborhood and started these groups for the young kids. So I mm. participated in the groups, but I was a just a transplant. So I was sitting in the back, had my hood on, sitting in the back, I didn't want to interact with nobody, I didn't know anybody, um, kind of felt on the outside because my mother was the manager um, and I had to worry about that stuff. Like, is, does he think he's better than, you know, it was just a whole yeah. bunch of different stuff. Yeah, I got you. Growing there. So, but at the end of the group, end of the groups, the social worker used to ask me to always um, help facilitate to kind of get me out of my shell. So I was mm -hmm. like, all right, I'll do that. So I, I kind of liked it in a sense. And then I became a chaperone for different groups and stuff like that. But then when I looked up what social workers make at that time, I was ignorant to the fact that we're so diverse. I was like, I'm not doing social work. I'm not going to do <laughs> social work. They don't make no money. Nothing yeah. like that. But he hit me to, um, and this is a white, redhead, gay man now that, that came into our neighborhood. He was pretending like he was straight. He's still my mentor to this day, and I always get on him. But he's, he, um, he was pretending like he was straight, but he also wanted us as young men in the neighborhood to be the social workers instead of him coming into the neighborhood and not having the face, not being able to relate. So he kind of pushed a few of us to go into the field. I was the only one who did it because I saw the potential in it. I saw the need. I saw how it helped me. So... Um, he was telling me at that time, I think I was maybe a freshman in college, and he was telling me that don't look at the salary because right now I'm making, I think he was making like 140, and that was like in 99 or 98 in, in private practice. So he's like, if yeah. you get your master's, you get this, I'm going to give you half of my practice. So that was like, all right, incentive. Let me change the narrative. Like, I wanted to be an attorney. Now I really want to be an attorney. I want to be a juvenile judge. I can somehow incorporate that later on. But right now, let me fall into this, this social work thing because I took a marriage and family class, and I love that okay. one. Friends, family, everybody came to me with their issues and stuff like that. So it was kind of natural, and I kind of fell into it. Um, but I love it. So now, you know, yeah. you got to go through the steps, of course. Undergrad, grad, um, licensure, licensure again. And then here I am, my own private practice as a social worker, being able to run a clinic, being able to work in a hospital, I can have my own practice. I can do so many different things that maybe other professions can't. But I'm I'm doing what I love and I'm impacting my yeah. back. You know, I think yeah. I have this whole thing that I think a lot of us need to get into the field because it is an opportunity for us to to get back to the neighborhood, to go back into the neighborhoods we grew up in where there wasn't any faces that looked like us that was helping us out. So now here yeah. we are. We can, and then we can make money on top of that. We just got to be smart and know, have access to it. Well, no, that's that's definitely the key, because when you first look at that social worker salary, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> that's right. what? Oh, more 
I'm gonna owe more than I than I'm gonna initially start making. Right. Uh, you know, I always say, like, if my daughter comes to me and says she wants to be a teacher or a social worker, I'm gonna try to advise her against it, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's this idea of not because I don't think it's a noble profession, because clearly I'm I'm a part of it, right? right? But you recognize all that it entails, yeah. right? The 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 emotional vulnerability that we have to have as clinicians that that we're dealing with everyday trauma, right? Right. Ultimately, right. it's weird. You know, when I was an undergrad, one of my professors said, "Listen, you're you're working to put yourself out of business, essentially, right?" Wow. And it was just like, "Damn, I am." You know, yeah. but based on how the world is, that'll never happen. We'll always be needed. Right. Uh, so, you know, that, that idea of representation, especially as black men, again, I never wanted to be a social worker. I actually wanted to be a teacher, which is equally, <laughs> uh, especially as a, as a male, as a black man. I was having a conversation last night and, you know, I was at a newspaper event and they were talking about men in the helping professions. And so an aspect of masculinity and manhood that doesn't get looked at is the idea how we're pushed towards uh, quote-unquote money-making industries, right? right? So you'll see a lot of men who choose business. You'll see attorneys. Yeah. You'll see you see engineers. Um, and what you'll see is a lot of people who aren't invested in right. what it is that they do. Yeah, they make a lot of money, but you'll see them try to venture off and do some philo uh, philanthropic work. Right. Or you'll see the give back, and they'll be more fulfilled with that. So, you know, thankfully, we wake, we woke up way before we yeah. needed to, right, yeah. Um, yeah. To, in order to, to enter this field. Right. So it's, I'm always, you know, I'm always thankful that I'm, that I'm in this field yeah. uh, because, again, I recognize the value that we have. Social workers are, are definitely underappreciated. And as you, as you mentioned, I always tell people, don't, don't go the psychology route. Right, because you limit yourself. When yeah. you go certain routes, um, especially when we talk about helping professions, you limit yourself. And the beauty about social work is you can work in child welfare, you can work in behavioral health, you can work in a hospital setting, which I've, I've worked in all of these, yeah. Yeah. Um, where if you have a psychology degree, you're typically limited to where you can where you can potentially practice. Right. Um, so, yeah, so it's, you know, social work is, is definitely a beautiful thing, and I'm glad you're a part of it. Uh, so... Your specialty. What would you say your specialty is um, when it comes and, to? Uh, I guess depression, and anxiety, and relationships. Um, okay. And, and depression, and anxiety, when it comes to um, well, depression, more of our young boys. So a lot of times we we um, they're misdiagnosed with certain like oppositional defiant disorder. When you know we're struggling to to have breakfast. You know, I'm, I'm angry because I didn't have any breakfast. I'm angry because of what happened last night at home. I'm angry because dad's not home. I'm angry because mom is yelling. I'm angry because I don't have a coat. Like different things like that. And I don't know who to talk to. Or I'm a young man and I'm not told to express how I feel. I'm told to hold it in. But I'm okay with being angry. Like I, I'm okay because um, I'm telling them that's that's what that's what boys do fight it out tough it up man up you're telling the two-year-old the five-year-old to man up so my specialty is uh, giving that space where we can kind of talk it out like let's express these emotions and understand that anger is okay but what do we do with that anger 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's critical. Um, you know, I, me working with young boys, especially as a black male, we get thrown to black males, right? right? And right. I look at it as a it's a beautiful thing, but then it's also like, damn, I might want to work with a young lady, a, a yeah. young girl, or what have you. But then we recognize, and I know, well, for me, I recognize that if I don't talk to these young brothers, you know, then I don't know who's going to talk to them, yeah. right? Because because these these type of conversations aren't being had, and what you're saying is so is you know is there's a disconnect that exists, especially within society, within schools, uh, because again they're they're assigning these diagnoses, oppositional defiant conduct disorder, when they don't recognize the trauma that a lot of these young boys have experienced. And when we think about trauma, a lot of times we say trauma. Um, to outside people, it's like car accidents. It's like um, somebody actually being shot, but it's, they don't think of it as well. I heard a gunshot, right? right. That's traumatic yeah. because yeah. that's not natural, um, and that's on the, the the higher scale of traumatic events. There's certain things like missing a meal, right? right? Having to go to school to eat breakfast to get there early enough to get breakfast, and then you get lunch, and that's the last time you're eating. That's traumatic, right? And you know, many people don't recognize that and, and the importance of that. I always salute the young brothers, um, and I'll just salute anybody because ultimately to get to this day, we did the best that we could with what we had, Yeah. right? So you being angry, you being frustrated, yeah, we can work on those things, but the fact that you made it, because at the end of the day, we're talking about survival for yeah. a lot of people that we, and especially these young boys that, that we're working with. So, you know, again, so salute to you for that. So I know you mentioned relationships. So, you know, I know you got the book and we could definitely jump into that. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, you know, putting it out, I had a lot of people hit me up, like, you know, what's, what they're going to be talking about, especially my women friends, like, right. um, they're going to let me know about men trash. I'm <laughs> like, oh Lord, <laughs> here we go with that. So just to, you know, what is it about relationships that, that drew you in? So I've always had the desire of what a relationship should look like. Um, and that comes from maybe not seeing the perfect um, example of relationships or maybe just wanting to um, have this idealistic of um, a couple getting it right, ha uh, living happily ever, ever after, um, fully functional mom, dad, kids, family, house. But, you know, in the neighborhoods we grew up in, we don't really see that too much. You know, we grow up in dysfunction, and don't get me wrong, every relationship is dysfunctional to a, a certain extent, but that we're dealing with high dysfunction. We're dealing with one-parent household. We're, de we're dealing with um, a young man not being able to express himself to his mom because mom expected him to be the dad or be the man of the house. Um, so, so many different dynamics where there is um, cheating or there's, you know, abuse or all these things that we have to deal with that's in this pot. Uh, we call relationships and some people thinking that healthy is or what what they consider normal what they experience is is is, is healthy because if somebody's yelling mm -hmm. at me that means they really love me if somebody if they if they didn't care then they wouldn't do certain things to me so the book comes from just my idea and it started off from and i always tell a story it started off from me having this vision of when i went to college at east tennessee state to play ball, and I said I was going to find my wife, I was going to graduate, 
I was going to uh, get married. We was going to move, have this house, build this whole family. And that was my idea of going into college. Like I was escaping home and doing that. So I get to college and sophomore year, I get into some, this relationship and I'm just bragging about my relationship. Like my, my girl at the time, she was back at home in Maryland. I'm in Tennessee. Like you, you, I was semi-popular. So I knew everybody because the fact that I'm just not from Tennessee. So I'm like a, a, a dude from up north who's dressed different, yeah. sounds different. So you yeah. get that, that attention. And I'm like, nah, I got a girl. Nah, I'm chilling. I got a girl. So, um, you know, that was attractive to other women. And <laughs> so she's like, no, yeah. he's faithful. You know, he got that going on. Your girl is always back here. Like that woman coming in where she won't never know. But I'll know. You know, if you came to my, yeah. to my room, we had a four-bedroom apartment. I had three of my boys. We're still great friends now. They were single. You know, they had people come to the room. We used to have parties. I used to be in the, in the room on my phone with my girl. Like, nah, I'm chilling. <laughs> oh, you was that, you was that boy. Yeah, I was that dude. It's, it's, you know, it's funny you say that. Like, I, I got a, uh, my son is, my, real quick, my son is 19, right? My stepson. And he down at North Carolina A&T. And this is freshman year. And I tried to have a talk with him. But he, he a different type of a different type of kid, man. Like he faithful. He you know he talked to his girl regularly. She's still up here, and I'm just like, <laughs> all right, right? Because yeah. how we're conditioned, especially um, as you know, as black men going to college, it's this idea that it's just the smorgasbord, right? That's you know for our taking, which is unhealthy when we right. when we think about it. Um, because in the midst of that, we're we're hurting people in the midst of trying to find ourselves. Right. So just you saying that, you know, I just picture him because that's what that's <laughs> right. that's how he is. You know, right. what I mean? it's so good. Right, and I I, I tell the story to my close friends, um, but I, I I don't I, you know at this point I'm just like I'm out there, so I just tell it to to everybody. But you know, my girl was back home was one of my best friends, one of again one of my roommates. He wanted a, a stripper for his birthday. So we chipped in and got him a stripper to come to our apartment, four-bedroom apartment. I'm in the room with my girl the whole time, like, on the phone. Like, they banging on the door, like, come out. Come on, come on. I was like, nah, I'm on the phone with my girl. Like, that's it. And then I waited till she yeah. left, and I went out. She's like, oh, you soft? She's like, nah, we good. I mean, y'all had y'all fun. Y'all spent your money. But ultimately, that relationship ended. Uh, she came to mm -hmm. the school, and that was a real shock for her. And she, I found out that she had all types of stuff going on with abuse and all that type of stuff, um, issues with her dad, and she cheated. And I was like, I was definitely, wow. yeah. And, then, yeah. you know, I found out so many different things. And, you know, my friends even back home was like, we thought that if anybody can change her, you could. Like, they put that, that responsibility on me, knowing her history Which and what she's been through. Even her parents came to me and was like, she's been through some stuff. So... At that point, I had turned off all types of uh, vulnerability or being emotionally connected to anyone. Like, mm -hmm. there was no chance for any girl at that time. And I, I made it clear. Like, I, I had to take some time off of school. That's how bad it hurt me. I took a semester off. And then I came back. And I was like, all right. I came back. And I saved up, bought me a new car. Like, I was brand new. Like, I was stunting, essentially. Unemotionally connected. And I did not want to be vulnerable. Like there was no, absolutely no chance until I got finished with school. 
So, but at that point, you know, when I felt myself getting closer, I would purposely withdraw. Um, and then I started writing. It was a sabotage. Yeah. 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 Self-sabotage. So I started writing from that point, And I said, dear future wife, because I knew I wasn't going to find it in college because now everything around me was about everybody just hooking up or, you know, nothing is going serious. You know, nothing is serious. So I was just like, all right, that's my mind frame. Get my degree and get out. And then I'll find my wife because it wasn't going to happen yeah. here in this environment. So that's when I first started yeah. writing. And that was back in 2000. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So during this, during this process, um, were you aware that you were self-sabotaging uh, relationships? In, in essence, your own happiness, uh, walking around with the, with the sense of, you know, we talk about an inability to be vulnerable. We're talking about a sense of shame. Yeah. Right. Um, a sense feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. So in the midst of this, you know, were you cogn cognizant of it? Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing, too, because I was always very self-aware. And, you know, I had the conversations before. And then when the time got too close, I would have a conversation and say, yo, I can't do this. Like, I'm not ready for all this. And I knew what I was doing. Like, I knew that I did not want to be emotionally vulnerable. And I was like, yo, this is too close to me, to a relationship. I'm just here for college. And I knew when I spent time with myself, it was like, why, why am I even setting myself up for this? So when I saw somebody catching feelings, that's when I would pull off. Like, of course, we have the agreement now. We're just hanging out. I'll be cool. But does that, does that really happen? You know, especially at that age. I mean, it, it barely happens today. But, you know, you're yeah. talking about 18, 19, 20, and you're talking about, now nah, I can just, you know, mess around and not catch emotions or catch feelings. That was unrealistic. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's interesting um, because especially is, you know, being self-aware uh, and recognizing, you know what, this is what I'm experiencing. But conversely, it's like I, I still want attention. I still want affection. And this is what I try to communicate, um, you know, to women that I interact with, um, other brothers that I interact with. There's this idea that, you know, in this cliche, do the work before you get people involved. Right. Right. But I think what that does is, you know, that's just how realistic is that? Because especially if we have this, you know, we're human, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're, we're human beings. We have feelings. We have wants. We have desires. Right. And so at times it it appears to, to clash, right? right. So, Oh, yeah, on one hand, I recognize I need to probably be by myself. But on the other hand, you know, I really want somebody to talk to, to engage with. And I think with, you know, some brothers, it's this idea, I can't be open and vulnerable with you because you're going to abandon me. And I'm really sensitive, you know, looking for a sense of belonging. Right. So maybe not saying what my true intentions are, not saying what I've experienced previously might just be better off. Because at the end of the day, whether we're talking about, you know, um, young boys, young girls, just people in general, it's about um, we want to feel as safe as possible, right. Right? right? Because when we experience these, these emotions that make us uncomfortable where we need to change, sometimes it's safer to, to just not um, feel the consequences of what change or what, vulnerability might look like right right and you talk about doing the work and you know people say i did my work like at that time as an immature um young man 
I feel like I did the work and my work was just staying away from people. No, that wasn't really work. I just avoided it's people. Work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's exactly. Like, the work there's a big, yeah, yeah, big the, difference. The work that I was doing was I wrote down exactly what I want to accomplish while, while, while I sat out of school. I wanted to get a car. I wanted to save up money. I want to have clothes and I want to go back. That's what I thought the work was. And this time, I'm not going to allow anybody to stop me from doing that. And I think we get caught up in that, even today, as um, grown men and grown women, that we think the work is just working on ourselves to look better instead of feel better, instead of deal and heal from our traumatic experiences, our relationship issues, our, our relationship with our parents, our relationship with our exes, our relationship with our you know, child's co-parent or whatever it is. Like, we have to do that internal work to say that, I'm able to be vulnerable because I'm able to handle whatever comes my way when I express or show my vulnerability. If I'm rejected, then I can say, okay, I'm strong enough to handle that rejection. And I can just move on to something else instead of saying, like, I'm just going to be always in protection mode where nobody can get in. Nobody can hurt me because I'm strong. I'm independent. I'm the alpha male. I'm the alpha uh, female. And all these different things are really just cover-ups. And it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's the outer work, but we need to really be working on the inside. No, listen, I, I completely agree. Because when I hear, you know, phrases like do the work, I'm like, you know, I, I don't even think that phrase does justice to what we're asking somebody to do. Right. Right. And so a lot of times it might be put out and I, you know, I see your post. So I know you 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 explain more. It's not just I just put it out there, right. right? When I put things, and I think that's just the clinician in us because we could put it out, do the work, but we got to say how. Right. Otherwise, it's you know people are never going to truly understand what that means. Right. I know for me, <laughs> man, listen, it took it took years. You know, it took my last breakup probably about a year and a half ago, where um, that breakup it was a a very unhealthy relationship and it ended I ended up going back going to therapy for the first time in a few years I ended yeah. up going back but I was committed to self to because I needed to see a, another version of me and right. where I was in that situation and when I started to be honest with myself in in other situations I realized that um yeah in my process it's a journey I look at life as war right War, there are casualties. We're going to hurt people. We're going to hurt people's feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's unintentional. But, you know, I just looked at, you know, how I was moving and, and what I was just lacking um, right. that nobody else could give me, right? right? Nobody else could give me what it is that I was lacking, that sense of, of self-worth, um, you know, the self-doubt to, to quell those thoughts and, and what have you, just the depression and anxiety that comes along with being a black man in general, yeah. but then also trying to navigate relationships because, you know, as you said earlier, you know, I didn't have the, the picture perfect model. Um, I just happened to be a sensitive guy anyway. Right. right. But that wasn't cool being around with the homies. So right. I learned how to dumb myself down um, because again, I wanted to belong. And, and when we, when we want to belong, sometimes we'll sacrifice self. Yeah to belong and, and what we truly want and what we truly need. And so again, it took me going to therapy to say, Oh damn, Phil. Yeah. And, I mean, we ain't talking about that. Not this week. I'm out. <laughs> I'll see you next week. Cause I couldn't deal with yeah. what I was being, what I was being told. Yeah. Right. And what I was hearing, um, even though I knew what was necessary mm -hmm. and 
you know, I see a lot of brothers, you know, pop, contrary to poverty belief, it's a lot of brothers out here that want a healthy relationship, yeah. right? We want a healthy relationship, but um, we, 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 we need it to come, um, sometimes I feel like we need it to come under our terms, mm-hmm. right? And then it makes a question, is that our relationship? So, so what, is that a healthy relationship? Right. Um, so, you know, I was asking earlier, I was at, you know, a coffee shop and I, I was having, asking for questions to be asked. And it was just like, well, can you, <laughs> she's, a, uh, she's in school to be an MFT. And she was like, I don't know how to phrase it, but just the, uh, the perception in relationships, like you're giving enough, right? Like I might think I'm giving enough, but in reality, I'm, I'm not. And we couldn't figure out how to really phrase it um, because, but ultimately it's about perspective and communication when we talk about, you know, a healthy relationship. Right. So I think, you know, I deal with a lot of couples and I think the, the question is, am I enough? So before you even say, am I given enough? You ask yourself, am I enough in that relationship? So somebody that you're uh, dealing with, you're in a relationship with, they're not going to be everything that you need and want. That's just not going to happen. And we, we come to these things or we, we come to, like you said, you did your work and you, you realized that you were, you were lacking something. You realized that you were trying to uh, have this perfect relationship and you were expecting things and you wanted it on your own terms, right? So is that a healthy relationship or is that controlling your safety net? You know, so that's the question. Am exactly. I enough myself? where um, before you came, I was already enough. Now I'm just a compliment. You know, I'm not completing you, I'm a compliment. So I always, again, when I'm working with uh, couples, so I, I do the triangle, here's the triangle, the relationship at the top. You have one person right here and another person right here, and you guys are meeting at the bottom, and everything you do is going towards that relationship. Do you want to get to that peak? Because that's what you're investing in. Everything that I do, does it create a healthy relationship or does it bring down the relationship? So that's essentially what the question is, am I enough? If I were to give you everything that I had right now as me and what's available, can you handle that? Is that enough for the relationship to, to survive? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, when you say am, the question of am I enough, um, you know, especially when we talk about men, we're talking about operating from, from a place of shame. And right. so, just, especially as black men, um, you know, and I think that's maybe why I've, I'm always so critical. Um, so I'm critical about a lot of shit. But, um, but you know, I'm, I'm critical about how, we're, how men are being approached, how men are being um, the perception, especially of black men, where we are today as we have um, these amazing necessary movements like Me Too and Time's Up. And, and what have you, where women are saying, listen, we're here, we exist, you need to listen, right? Which I, which I completely understand. Conversely, I'm looking at it as, you know, yeah, it are, but are we listening? Are, based on your approach, can we listen, right? Can we hear from that? So prime example, I was watching the, <clears throat> I watched the whole thing of Nikki Giovanni and, and uh, James Baldwin their interview and how they were communicating with one another. And <clears throat> I thought they did a good job. And this was back in like, you know, the early eighties. Right. I thought they did a good job of communicating. And she was asked, she asked him, um, 
why don't you take off, uh, you know, why don't you put on the mask, essentially, with that you do at work, right? Where you smile in front of the white man and what have you. You're smiling in his face, and then you come home, and I get the worst of you, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, the reason I have to do that is because I have to pay the rent, mm -hmm. right? And... And sitting there, I, you know, being a therapist, of course, that's the, always the lens that we look at these conversations through. Right. I'm sitting here listening to her saying, yeah, baby, I understand that, but I need to know that I'm not a part of the problem, right? That I'm a part of the solution. And what he's saying is, yo, this shit is difficult that I have to do, this smile, this mask that I have to, to continue to put on. Um, and so, you know, it went on to say, and I don't know, did, have you seen it? I saw that I saw that particular part and I had kind of like the same thoughts on that. It's it's just like I'm going, <laughs> you want me to go and be like I am at work when I'm pretending and I am putting on a mask. You know, I'm not showing my true self, but sometimes I gotta come down off of that. So now in retrospect where we are today, this is what women are asking for. We're asking for those vulnerable moments. But from that message, it's like, no, I need you to put on the game face. I need you to do the same thing in a relationship. And yes, I can put on my, my game face, but I also need you to see my preparation face. I need you to see the, the part that I'm struggling face as well. And we can build and work on it together because the same way that you come to me when you come home from work, when you come home from pretending, because you're fighting the world just as I am. So let's come home together and have a real healthy conversation, a real honest conversation and say, hey, I'm struggling. I don't have to put my game yeah. face on. I don't have to put the, you know, fake and facade in, in front of who I want to spend the rest of my life with because is the relationship real if I'm always pretending? Exactly. Exactly. No, I, you know, and that was, and that was really the gist of, of what he was saying. He was like, listen, um, you know, I do that because the rent got to get paid. Right. Right. And she's like, you don't, you know, we'll figure out a way. And he's like, well, who's going to pay the rent? Right. You, you, are you, you going to pay it? And she's like, you don't have to prostitute yourself. And he, and then he responded, I don't want you prostituting yourself. Right. right? And so we're seeing here, you know, and granted they were talking, you know, you have two intellectuals, but part of it, they were talking at each other. Yeah. Right. And not listening. And I think that was, that exists, especially in this world where we are. And so, I, you know, I, I think that we have to show men, even in the midst of the privilege that we have and the, the fuck shit that some of us engage in, we still have to show grace, right? We right. still have to show, be empathetic yeah. because the path to enlightenment doesn't come through, you know, shaming right. us, right? right? right. You're not going to get shame. Shame might change behaviors, but it's not it's not going to give you the desired result long term that you want. Right. Right. So I think it's just it's something that, you know, we have to be mindful of, especially, you know, when we talk about the, the, the relationship dynamics between men and women. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that whole shaming thing. Um, I just posted something earlier. It was like when you do that and when you're calling somebody out of the name and you're you're pushing this thing on them you know it's it's like it becomes that tattoo so i walk around with that tattoo of what you just called me and you say how i am and i feel like every time you look at me you're looking at my tattoo that you named me so of course the difference between shame and guilt the shame is who i am the guilt is what i do so you know let's talk about i feel bad for what i did but that's not who i am 
So let's let's start there. So I mean, you're absolutely yeah. right. I'm in yeah. full agreement with that. Yeah. Before we before we keep moving, I, I want to answer. What's up, Kavanaugh? Um, Is it a healthy relationship life if you are always coming home giving your spouse the pinned up anger? Um, I, I, I'm sure we both going to say no, it's not, right? Uh, but I, I'll let you expound upon that. So, no, I mean, it, what, is, what is the pinned-up anger? Where does that come from? I think part of that is maybe processing that with your significant other. If it's a constant thing, then maybe you need to talk to a professional about that, how you deal with that anger. So that the things that you're experiencing outside don't particularly make you pinned up with anger. Like, can you process that stuff before you go home? And it's, it's just a conversation as opposed to you walk in the door, door all tense. You don't have the coping skills or coping mechanisms to kind of release that stuff before you come home in a healthy way so you can have a healthy conversation about how tough the day was or how yeah, no. it bothered you or what you dealt with. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. If if one person is is doesn't know how to cope in a in – a, uh, an adaptive way um, and one person is unhealthy, then the entire relationship is unhealthy, yeah. right? If, if one person is experiencing anger and they're taking it out when they get home, uh, historically men have, we've had to find vices, right? Because we couldn't have the emotional conversation, so we find in liquor, we find in um, you know, we find in uh, Sally who I can get off with, or I'm right. finding James who I can potentially get off with. Right. And we're finding all of these other vices to help us cope with what we're experiencing. And some people come home and just the anger, they just lash out at their spouse because it's, again, you're supposed to love me, right? You're supposed to be in this for better or for worse. And so right. here I'm giving you the worst of all me. the time and it all the time which is you know it's again it's completely unhealthy so we we definitely agree upon that um let's see so so with that being said you know we were talking about the you know the nikki and james conversation and just where we are in social media and relationships i think is it's crazy where we are and all the comments that are being made uh, I was listening to Jerry Seinfeld um, on Wale out when he was like, you know, you give something people to talk about. People just love to talk, yeah. right? And so we have this with Offset and Cardi, you know, where they say his behaviors, you know, was, I, I hate the term toxic, but his behavior toxic, going showing up at her job. And I think, um, you know, with, or we're talking about Jordan Woods and the Kardashian and, and Tristan Kardashian, yeah. uh, you know, but I, I think what's happening is, you know, we're, we're so quick to, to comment on, on relationships that we aren't privy to, even if it's just the, you know, the person that we know, right? We're, we're so involved. Yeah, and I, and I think that can make for a healthier relationship. So where do you stand as far as just like the promoting of relationships on social media or or offering two cents into others' relationships? Yeah, it's it's so many different ways to to talk about this. I think the the issue is we give everybody gives access to their relationships. You know, everybody allows people to come in and comment because you know, relationship goals, or this looks good, let's take this picture together. I want us everybody to, to celebrate because they get the high from people 
commenting or you know bigging up our relationship or when when bad things happen now we still we're still giving access so like the cardi situation and whatever happened you know with the toxic you know him showing up at work and all that type of stuff and some of that is promotion you know that's part of this is what i want to do to get her back i'm letting the world know because the world knows that i messed up so y'all need to know the work that i'm doing to get her back so a lot of that stuff is isn't real to me um and it's all about what it looks like but i think when we put we really put our stuff out there then we're giving other people access and giving other people insight on what's happening from what we want them to see so i i don't really comment on people's stuff because i don't know the backstory so if it's somebody that I know personally, congratulations, that's what's up. Or, you know, somebody that's just say, nice looking lady, good looking fella, you guys look good together, and I keep it there. Like, I'm not going to comment on um, people's personal things as somebody comments and say, this is what happened. Because I think it's just too much for me. And especially being a clinician, like, what do I look like yes. <laughs> giving some type of advice to somebody? They say, well, the therapist said this. And now you got to quote me, and it's like I'm a bad therapist because I told him this, and then it didn't work out. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm not. I'm just not going to do stuff like that. But you know, it's all about giving access, and we have too many hands in our relationships. I'm all. I'm all about a hey, celebrate it the way you want to, but we have to be cognizant mm -hmm. that when we put it out there, that people are going to comment. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree, and that's why. You know, I'm an advocate of, you know, the more I learn, I think I'm in my first healthy relationship ever in life right now, you know, and this and, and keep it real is it's weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'll be honest. It's this is some weird shit. Like, <laughs> like, you good? I, like I remember like you, you checking in when everything is fine. Like, you all right? Everything good? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like, it'll be, I'm, I'm about to hear here. Like, all right, man. Yeah. It's like. No, it's, it's sick, but I realize it's I'm doing a lot of deprogramming, right, from from what I've seen on social media, from what I've experienced to dealing with um, women who are who are unhealthy, have unhealthy situations in their personal lives and two unhealthy people getting together. And now we have these these unhealthy, unrealistic expectations that that need to take place. Example, you know, I tell this story often. Um, you know, my first men's wellness group that I hold here in Philly, and we had a lot of brothers, you know, in the room. And so she wasn't my girl at the time. Um, but, you know, it was a couple months dating. And, you know, I was getting ready to go to North Carolina to go speak at a, you know, for a speaking engagement. And so I just said, hey, can you do me a favor and, um, and find me a hotel down there in, in Greensboro? She was like, all right, cool, I got you. You know, she was like, all right, yeah, I booked your hotel, right? And my initial response was like, what the, f what you do that for? I got angry, right? I got angry, like, what do you, what you do that for? Like, I didn't ask you to do that. And then it was like, I had to take a moment and say, what is it about me and, and trusting and allowing somebody to help me? Right. Right. Especially, especially as men, especially as men of color, there's there's a certain level of distrust that um, that we're nurtured to have over right. time, right. and so where we can we have to do all the doing, right? And we can't allow somebody to help us. I mean, now I'm at the point, hey, do whatever you want, sis. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm cool with it. But it was a 
that was, you know, weird for me. I had to process that in therapy um, to understand, you know, why didn't I value myself enough to allow somebody to help me? Right. And I, I think we're taking we're taking things like that into relationships with us. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it, it's definitely a process. And that's good. You know, that's what therapy essentially is for. Like we're we're thinking as, as black men and just minorities in general, we think that we're going to therapy because we're crazy. We're thinking that we're going there because we got some deep rooted stuff that nobody can really handle. Which in, in retrospect, some of that stuff is deep rooted that we need to relearn or untrain ourselves and, and get out of these, these cycles, uh, generational trauma, generational cycles um, that we've been doing and has led to unhealthy relationship, unhealthy behavior. Um, so it, it's kudos, man. I, I did the same thing. I had to go to therapy and for several reasons, you know, starting my own private practice, um, being in an unhealthy relationship where I was doing everything I possibly could. And I was trying to serve family, serve relationships, serve the people, the clients. And I just, you know, one day I just almost just dropped. I was like, I have nothing left to give and nothing. I was not receiving anything. So, and that's part of the process. Like I, I was in my um, office this morning with, with my therapist. So I see him every two weeks and we had to still, I'm still working on things. And when it comes to family dynamics, dealing with, you know, the, the unhealthy sibling and, and dealing with, um, you know, relationships and all that type of stuff. It's still a process and it's, it's important that we continue to stay there. And like, we don't go to two sessions and be like, all right, thanks doc. That's all I needed. I'm good. Like there's other stuff that we can continue to work on and stay in therapy and do like, I know about to say do the work, but really being there and really understand who you are. And those, those things that you tell about, like, why were you angry that somebody was helping you? Where's that mistrust? come from it comes from being let down before it comes from somebody telling you as a kid don't let no woman do this for you because of blah 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 so you got to make sure you're the man you got to do everything and and that's it like we are taught so many horrible things growing up as men that it just leads us to to positions of i don't know just i guess i guess not trusting not being vulnerable not being accessible, emotionally unavailable. And then once we become emotionally available, now we don't even handle, we don't know how to handle the response to it. So, I mean, we got to continue to work, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I'm always reminded by Jennifer Lewis. She was on the breakfast club and she was talking about how she started going to therapy. I think in like her late twenties or what have you. And it, I think she was diagnosed with bipolar. Yeah. Um, and she was like, yo, I recognize that it took me 20 some odd years to get to this point that it's going to take 17, 20, 30, 40 years right. um, to start working through this stuff. I recognize for me, self-doubt will always be exist in my yeah. life, yeah. right? It's something that I'm going to continue to work on going forward. But the key is being aware. Right. And being cognizant of it when it's happening. So I can say, because of it, I'm better off than I was two years ago. And hopefully two years from now, I'll be better off and know how to deal with it a little bit more. Right. So with this question, because we did talk about, you know, getting to a place uh, where they feel safe enough to be 
emotionally vulnerable? How can somebody get to that space? So I know one of the things we talked about is therapy, which is a great thing. Um, but then when we talk about the practice of it, the application of it, right. then what? What, what, would you, what do you say to that? I think it goes back to trusting yourself. And again, trusting mm -hmm. yourself that when you are emotionally uh, vulnerable, whatever the response is, that I'm going to be okay. You know, that's the things that we learn in therapy. Um, that, you know, when I'm rejected, it doesn't mean it's not really about me. It's about them just not accepting that. But it's okay because at least I was able to share that. Because that's what depression looks like when you're holding that stuff in. And now you don't have anywhere to let it go. You don't have anywhere to let it show. And then you're going back to the, to the drinking. You're going back to the, um, the, the other substances abuse and all those different things. And now I'm sitting here and I'm stuck. And I can't be emotionally vulnerable because I gave somebody a chance. But now, now what? Now what? So yeah. I think when you get to the place where you say, I trust myself in this instance. I trust myself that whatever you, your response is, that I'm going to be okay. Facts. Listen, I, you know, definitely, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, I often get asked, you know, especially when I wear this, the shirts that I wear, this is what depression looked like. People ask me, are you happy, right? And I'm like, you know, my goal is not to be happy, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's not my goal. What my goal is, I want to be able to experience every emotion, right, and know how to deal with it and appreciate every emotion that I had. So for the longest time, I, and, a, and a lot of us, um, we, try, we go through life emotionally, emotionally neutral, Right. And that's because that's it's easier for us. It's the safe route. And we'll always choose the safe route. Um, you know, I had applied to NYU. I'm sure some people watching, they saw my email that I wrote. Um, but that was the one of the first times where I said, you know what? I want to get into this university. I'll be excited if I got in instead of saying um, yeah, it'll be what it's going to be. You know, if they want me, they'll have me. If not, it is what it is. Just playing in neutral. Because what that does is when it comes, yeah, I might not be sad, right, if I get rejected. But conversely, I won't be happy, right? right? I won't be as happy as I can be because I'm playing this safe. And so right. when we're talking about, you know, being emotionally vulnerable, we have to show, again, I, I say it often, we have to show ourselves grace. We have to believe that we have the tools to deal with whatever emotion comes up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm always, I, I forget what movie it's from, uh, but it's the line, players fuck up, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you might be, you might be emotionally vulnerable and somebody shits on you, mm -hmm. right? I got rejected from NYU, I was sad, mm -hmm. right? And then I was angry, I was angry for a minute, right? right? But I knew how to deal, deal with these emotions. So we have to, you know, just again, it starts with being confident with self, being confident with your skill set. That's not saying go be emotionally vulnerable with everybody. Yeah. That's saying have the have the awareness uh, to know with whom you can give information to. Right. We don't give ourselves enough credit. I was reading in Brene Brown's book, and she was talking about how the idea of vulnerability. And it was just like they was talking about something at a park. And her friend knowing her grandparents' names, right? We're vulnerable every day when we give somebody our name. When yeah. we say, I'm Phil, I'm Bache. Right. Now, it's on a continuum, it's not the extreme, right? right? But we have to look at the other times where we're 
where we are vulnerable and, and really build upon that. Getting up, walking outside, you're vulnerable, right? You're putting yourself in vulnerable situations physically, mentally, emotionally, because you don't know what you're going to encounter, right? And so it's looking at it from, you know, we have to look at it from a strength perspective, you know, the, the cliche social work thing, the, the reason why, you know, people could talk trash about Trump, which I agree with, but I'm like, yo, but he got a, he got a strength. They're like, what's his strength? Well, he's able to connect with people, even if I don't agree with what they're talking about. You know what I mean? So we have to start looking at ourselves not from a deficit, right? It's like, yeah, I can be emotionally vulnerable. And if something, if I, it's not received the way I want, then you know what? I'll deal with that right. going, you know, right then and there, going forward and being able to process it um, in a healthy way. So, uh, so question. So about your book. So are we, cause I, I haven't had the, the opportunity to, to read it as of yet. Um, but I'm, I'm certain it's, it's solution based, right. Um, and, and different ways of how, you know, we can deal as single individuals and as couples. So what are some of the recommendations that, uh, that is offered in the book and just some that you offer in general? So the book is, like you said, it's, it's for singles, it's for couples, it's for married, divorced, whatever place you are in your life, it, it, it addresses that. So it's written in initially, I guess, letter form, and then there's the perspective, mm -hmm. the clinical perspective of it, and then there's a reflection. So it's a workbook. So you see it, it was like, oh, that sounds good. Okay, this is what it meant. And then, yeah, how can I apply that? Do I agree? Is that something that I've been through? Is that something that I experienced? And how would I approach the situation differently? It talks about vulnerability in there for men. It talks about um, just uh, what a healthy relationship looks like. It talks about um, relearning some of the different things as far as chivalry. It talks about the man saying, hey, this is what I need in a relationship. Uh, it, it, it covers a wide range of topics. Look. Uh, even sex, even the people who are sitting there waiting. And it's, you know, there's a community, and I talk about there's a community of waiting, saying I'm being abstinent, I'm being celibate. But some people just do it just because they got hurt in that relationship. So I'm not having sex anymore because I got hurt. But was it the sex or was it something deeper? Was it the, the lack of connection between the person you decided to have sex with? Was Sandaid, was sex covering stuff? And if you guys didn't have sex with the relationship last, so sex isn't was detrimental to the relationship. That was just an aspect of the relationship. But you guys emotionally connect. And did you see things that you needed to work on yourself? Did you see the things that you needed that them to provide for you or the relationship to be a safe one? So there's so many different, again, aspects within relationships. Somebody asked the name of the book. Is uh, yeah. let me get it real quick. I should have had it right beside. Yeah, me. go ahead. Go. Do you promote then? <laughs> But it's um, it's dear future wife, a man's guide, and a woman's reference to healthy relationships. So again, it, it tackles so many different topics on there, um, like why a wife is always first when it comes to people who are dealing with a co-parenting situation. Um, it is a situation that was it was popular. I wrote an article a couple of years ago about why a wife is always first. It was between the wife, uh, the mother of your kids, your daughter. And I think the mom or something like the, the, the dad's mom. 
and why the wife was first comes from all of that. And people really struggle with that. It's like, nah, my daughter's first, or nah, I have to wait on my child's mother, or nah, I need to listen to my mother and see what she has to say about this particular perspective. But once you enter into a marriage, your wife comes first. And that's the most important thing. That's the anchor right there. The kids, you take care of them. What um, the, the child's mother on the outside, she's not privy to a lot of information and she can't dictate how you operate in the relationship. And then your mom is your mom, but she can't dictate how you operate in your relationship. So um, I just started writing from those different perspectives. Whatever I saw that was a hot topic on online, I wrote yeah. in that. Um, and also, you know, my experiences as well, and just the, the clinical perspective, perspective. So I have other clinicians who buy it and give it to their couples or use it in their practice. Um, and people thought it was just like a book of love letters because it says, Dear Future Wife. But it's, it's way bigger than that. I've had people who said, yeah. I don't want to buy the book because I don't want to hear all this mushy stuff. And then immediately after they got it, it was like, yo, I'm in here working. Like, this is some real stuff. It brought yeah. up some things, what I need to change what I, I need to uh, aspire to, what I experienced before that didn't work, that did work. I'm in here and I, I, I really need this book. So, I mean, that was my whole thing. It wasn't, it wasn't about selling dreams in a sense. Like I could have, you know, been a popular person that says, oh, I'm going to bring you roses and, and, and candy and all that type of stuff, create this fantasy. No, this is a workbook. This is, this is, it's written in a way that you can connect both men and women yeah. from a man's perspective, yeah. but more centered on what the, the man, the man's work. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that's true. And, and, and thinking, I think I've evolved to that over, over time, you know, cause initially I might've, you know, early on in my daughter's life, my daughter's 10, you know, I would have said my daughter came first right now. Granted, I'm not married, but right. I, I recognize. And when I, when I, you know, talk to married couples, uh, I let them know, listen, you, first you have to worry about one another, right? For, first worry about self, then worry about one another. Um, so what I was saying was, you know, we first have to take care of ourselves. And then if we're able to take, you know, help one another, help improve um, the lives of our spouse, our children are going to be better off for it, right? So, um, so yeah, so now I, I completely understand as to why you know, why that's necessary. Um, so about the book, so where, where can people get it at? They can get it on my website, um, which is bashewilliams.com. Um, and it's in the shop, under shop Bashe. You can get it there and there. If you buy it there, I can sign it and send it to you. Or you can get it off Amazon. Amazon has it, Barnes & Noble. You can get it off of um, iBooks. You can get it off... Uh, I guess there's a, you know, the digital form and, and pretty much everywhere. But if you, yeah. you just Google it, you can find it. Okay. But again, okay. if you want it signed, you can go to my website. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap up, does anybody have any questions, comments, concerns that they want to get off that, that we can, um, you know, that we could potentially answer for you? And thank you for all those who said they're going to buy it. I appreciate it. I definitely Make sure you get it. If you buy it from me, I'll sign it. Like I said, get off Amazon. If you do, get, leave a review, please. I appreciate it. So, yeah. What's the, what's the best place to get it though? So, like the return on the investment is is better and, and what have you. Um, you know, to be honest, I haven't even looked at that part. I <laughs> the first one. 
I was just so excited about getting it done because I had put it off for a while mm -hmm. um, and I had a lot of pre-orders. So I'm, I sold about 500 copies. So oh, that's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah, and I really need to start the promotion thing and then do like some, you know, book signings and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, I don't mind signing it. So if you want it for me with a message, I'll do it. But Amazon is quicker. Uh, Amazon, of course, they have Amazon Prime and all that. So, you know, yeah. either one. Yeah. Uh, they, they missed out on that. Um, what inspired Bashay to write the book? Just briefly, just recap what brought you to write the book. Just the desire to have healthy relationships, the desire to help, you know, people around me. And, and it started from a place of um, reframing pain for me or to, to make uh, paper. Again, paper wasn't rejecting so I could write my feelings and write my perspective on relationships. Um, and I was it, was, it started off with a personal diary, which has turned into helping others. Okay. Okay. No, yeah, no, and that's that's one of the reasons why, you know, I have the podcast that I have my men's wellness group. Cause I always say, yo, women are winning right now, right? Yeah. You can't get a res you can't get a reservation for brunch without it being six, seven women right there together. You're like, dang. Um, but it's important that that we have it's in particular these conversations um yeah. about emotional vulnerability, emotional intelligence, and working through um, historical traumas or what have you. I was in a discussion last night about the barbershop and I think the barbershop definitely had its place. Right. Now I think it's time that we evolve past the barbershop because the barbershop is the, you know, within the barbershop is as good as it is for, to have men express express themselves. Some of the discussion within the barbershop is unhealthy and perpetuates some yeah. of the, the negative stereotype that leads to unhealthy men, right, who turn into having unhealthy relationships. So, no, I, I definitely, you know, appreciate, you know, the, the thank yous um, for creating spaces like this. Again, I'm always thankful for, for brothers like you for coming on. I'll give it a couple more. Uh, wait. Definitely, and I definitely appreciate you. I'm, I'm gonna turn down Mr. TED Talk himself. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> come on, that's, 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 that ain't good. You a TED I, Talk like yo? I'm out here. I, I'm gonna say thank you. I'm learning to take the gratitude. They ain't give me no bread off that yet, man. So, <laughs> you know, I'm still, I'm still out here nickel and diamond. You know, borrowing money and all that. So I'm waiting for people right. to see the TED Talk. Um, but what, what's interesting about it is. Uh, you know, at first I got down on myself because I had about like like 2,000 views. But then I went on there and saw Nikki Giovanni only got 20,000 views. I said, all right, I'm good. I can't <laughs> sit and complain. We're talking about one of the greatest writers of all time right. and has only 20K, but other people have millions, right? So it's just like, all right, cool. But no, I, I definitely appreciate it. I, I don't think I see any more any more questions. How do you get encouraged men into these spaces? Okay, that is a question. Um, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you you start. You answer that. I mean, that's a that's a common question that that comes up a lot. Like how do like personally, when you know women come up, how do I get my man to to do this and participate to come to therapy or to open up? And I think we if we create the space for it, you know, if if we show other examples, you and I continue to have this conversation. Um, we give access to those things just like we were given access to those 
um, bad behaviors or bad scenarios like the barbershop where you tell somebody this is what they need to do be, to be a man. We need to have more conversations like this and more access to this is what it really is like to be a man because being a man is human. Being a man is sharing all those different emotions of anger, hurt, um, all those things like fear, doubt, all that type of stuff, but what do we do with it? So the more and more we have the conversation and get access to it, and when he does open up to you, you know, maybe sometimes both of us need to do a little bit of work to really understand what that means to be vulnerable, what that means to go into that space. And if he says, I want to go to therapy, don't take it personal. You know, say, okay, go to therapy, encourage that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, I, I often look at it, what not to do, right? What you don't want to do is you don't want to, I've said it so many times, and probably because I'm reading a lot of Burnett, I talk about the, the idea of shame, right? Yeah. Talking down to him. He's not going to go to a space and say, um, you know, you're messed up. You need to, you should go to, to this wellness group or, you know, you're thinking it's effed up. You need to go to therapy. Some people might respond to that. Um, but again, I just don't know if that's going to yield the results that we desire. One of the things I often talk about, especially when we talk about black men, it's the idea. If we have an idea that we recognize men, black men are distrusting by nature due to historical reasons and, and current right. reasons, um, then we need to gain trust. How do you yeah. gain trust? You be present. You you listen, right? Um, you build a relationship. You don't just demand, um, but you inquire. You try to learn more about the individual. You show up, right? right. You show up in the time, especially in the, the tough times, right? And show that you're there and being consistent with saying, listen, you know what? I could potentially, you know, uh, you potentially... You know, we can have this conversation about therapy in a way where it's not demeaning, it's not looked at as, as um, from a deficit. Um, again, that's, that's on the individual, but, um, and then ask to try and be a part of it. You know, I can, you know, listen, do you need help, you know, navigating it? Because a lot of us do not know how to navigate it. I, I sat there for an hour um, talking with brothers about how to, you know, find a therapist, one brother said, yo, I called my insurance company. They sent me a list of 50 people. And I was just like, all right, never mind. I'm not meant to go. And so it's, it's other things that happen where we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We have that one experience. But again, if we want to encourage men to go to these safe spaces, we have to be empathetic. We have to show grace. We have to recognize that um, they might have experienced a lot. And what we're asking people to do is um, ultimately we're uproot them from their security blanket. Right. Right. And, and we're pushing them out there. And so that's extremely difficult, uh, what we ask people to do. And we have to be mindful of that. So, again, I talk about it took me, um, you know, they, they say, you know, studies say, that it takes 10 years for, get, for somebody to get their mental health under, con, quote-unquote, control. I suspect for black men, it's a lot longer. Mm -hmm. um, but it took me 10 years to finally find a therapist. I went to one, nah. Five years, six years later, went to another, nah. Then right. finally, it was like, you know what? I owe this to myself, yeah. right? And maybe framing things about, you know, the benefits that come from it and look at it from a, a, a healthy perspective 
is how we can encourage somebody to um and to potentially find seek out these spaces so we need to hear from other men all we women can do is be supportive when they decide to go or open up about it and and that's very well true that's, that that very well can be true do we want it I, to be that way go ahead yeah I, I think the other perspective too is that you know a lot of times you know women um think that they can maybe help or or fix that particular part and sometimes that's not always your responsibility like you have to understand that you might not be able to do that so the encouragement of hey you might need some support because i can't handle that and being a woman being vulnerable as well or your partner or significant other being vulnerable as well and say i don't know what to do with that so what can we do to help you through this process like i don't need to be in your session but it might help if you're in that session you know and you know providing the resources because as men we can't always depend on the woman to be our therapist our lover our wife the mother all those different things you know we have to be given the opportunity to say i can't rely on her for this particular thing like this is stuff that i had before we met i'm glad that she's here but i also need to be there in therapy and 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 really addressing that stuff and definitely like you said continue to have these spaces and these opportunities for us to really talk and and be more visible like we need to have weekly conversations you know we need to have daily posts and addressing the man and saying yo it's good yo you good like you said you good like let's let's talk let's rap like i i yeah. posted something on facebook a year ago and i said i'm about to start some groups um so men can just come and talk and I was surprised at how many men was like, "Yo, let me know." Like in my DMs, let me know. Yo, we need that. You know, like I'm tired of this same cycle. This stuff ain't working no more. Everything I tried don't work. The drinking ain't working. The smoking, the, the, the uh, abusing and using, and all that other type of stuff is no longer working. So, your group needs to be in every city. You know, it needs to be <laughs> <laughs> like offered by somebody three or four times a week. Like you good yeah, man all yeah, over the it, nation. It, it it does. It you know, and not just you know, and that's why I always encourage brothers, like, yo, I wish I had something here in my in Cleveland and Cali. Like, yo, start it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Start it and we could work on on figuring out the logistics and, and yeah. all of that. You know what I mean? I'm always surprised, um, cause and I don't know if Rashawn's still on here. Rashawn was the reason why I I started um the you know the men's wellness group because what it started was me calling into his wednesday line and i was like my friend asia might be on here i called in one time i ain't say nothing right and i just was listening so i was like all right i'll call back call back and so i introduced myself right and we sitting there talking it was me him and maybe one or two of his homies and we sat there talked for the hour and i was like yo i hung up and this was just maybe a year or two ago. I called my homegirl because a lot of times, you know, us men, we we confide in in, in yeah. women because you know we that emotional connection um, is there. I was like, yo, I was giddy. I was like, yo, I was just on the phone with men and we were just sitting there talking and having a conversation. And this is me being a clinician for the last, uh, you know, 13, 14 years. And so that spawned me having my own line, which you know, fortunately, time. But then it was just like, yo. This is still necessary, especially here in Philly, because Philly, 
and and just the Northeast in general is just a different beast when it comes to um to who we are in manhood and masculinity where right. you know we're not saying what's up to brothers and and what have you so it was just like so Mark Lamont Hill owns the the bookstore that I hold it at you know and I broached the idea with him he was like oh yeah you know email me and I was like all right but then me again me showing up me forming relationships you know with people that work there so you know it was September suicide prevention awareness week and they were like, Phil, you know, hold the group. I held the group. You never know who's going to show up. I'm not holding an event bright saying sign up. I had about 15, 16 brothers come in from University of Penn professors to just the common young bull who just wanted to come and have some conversation. And I was shocked, right? Because right. I, I didn't hold this to, to a high regard to come out and have these conversations. And right. so, you know, they went in there and was like, yo, we got to have this again. And so that's what started the ball rolling on it. And what's the most interesting part about it is we have our regulars where we get like three or four regulars, but it's always like 10 more brothers who didn't know who come out. And right. so it's just like, it's such a a beautiful and necessary thing, not only just what I, what I do, but you being out here as a clinician, being an, a mental health advocate, because again, we talk about the importance of, of representation and what right. that means. And, and by us being vulnerable, I always say we give them permission, yeah. right? We, we give them permission. It was these two young bulls. Um, I was in Delaware in like a, a, sh a shady part of Delaware going to Big Lots looking for something in particular. And, you know, I, I went into Family Dollar to the store and there was two young boys. The one young boy was getting patted down. It was like, give, him, give me the stuff. He gave him the stuff and he walked out. And so it was just like, I ain't come here for this. So I had to walk out and talk to the young boy and have an honest conversation with him. He was 15. His brother was was 13. He was stealing. It was crazy. He was stealing toothpaste and he was stealing something to help his teeth. Um, yeah. He had like a cavity or something. And so it's, it's like, it needs, right? Yeah. And I'm sitting there talking to him and I started crying, right? Yeah. I started crying. I'm standing outside crying and it was just like, I have no problem with that because he needs to see this. Yeah. And then I asked him, yo, when we were done after wrapping their heads off, can I give you a hug? Right. Yeah. Because I don't know if you're getting that. And I need right. you to see that it's sorry to cry. It's sorry mm -hmm. to, to embrace your emotions and what have right. you. So, you know, again, I, I appreciate you and, and all the work that you do. I'm not sure if I saw any more questions. I ain't trying to take up your whole your whole right. evening. You're good. Um, this is, it's an important conversation, I think. And it's the same the same way. I appreciate you, too. Like, we need to have the conversation. So, I, you know, I made myself available for this because I'm always willing to, to have this conversation and, and show face and saying that I'm a black male clinician who's been through trauma, who's working, who's trying to give back, who's meeting the client, who looks like me, where they are. Um, I had similar experiences working for child welfare. I had pretty much all the um, African-American males from... 15 to 21 on my caseload all over the state of Maryland. Like I'm driving back and forth, some in juvenile, some over here. And, you know, just those long rides are just, let's just connect and being consistent, you know, because they need that consistent um, ear. Exactly. They need that consistent voice that, 
that's not telling them they need to go out here and just go get it. You know, being that emotionally available male um, that doesn't, that's not, I guess what they say, corny or anything like that. And it's not even yeah. about yeah. that. It's about, yo, what's up? What's, how you feeling? Like, not how you really feeling. Like, I yeah. could tell, like, if I was in that, ex that, that, that position, that would bother me. So let's talk about that, man. You don't have to hold that in. You don't have to be tough right here. You can be tough yeah. all out there, but let's 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 be real right now. Like how are you really yeah. feeling? Yeah. No, and, and 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 no, that's completely true. And also what I what I just recognized is that, you know, we're talking from a, a heteronormative perspective, right? And so when right. we even when we're talking about our, you know, our other brothers who who have a different lifestyle than we might have. You know, I'm just thinking about how even more difficult it is right. to come out to these spaces. Like, I laud those brothers who, like, because we have a lot of LGBTQ conversations within the group right. uh, because I think that's necessary. And yeah. I, I especially laud those brothers because, you know, on top of, you know, the the racial, ethnic challenges, the, the quote-unquote gender challenges that come, then we have this identity challenge that also right. comes, and that's I think that's part of the reason why, even though this Jesse shit is just wild, man. I just yeah. I don't know, you know, what's up with yeah. Jesse? But I think that's why a lot of people are so frustrated. Um, it's just like, yo, like we talking about you a black man, you talking about a black gay man, right? And the struggles that come with that, right? right? And so the the jeopardy that we're all put in, because we're ultimately we're all connected. And and how, you know, we, especially that particular population is just going to be distrusted even more, right? right? And so, you know, I just wanted to to bring that up, you know, because I don't want any of our brothers who identify um, in ways that we we don't um, when we talk about sexual orientation or, or gender neutral, gender what have you. Um, I don't want them to feel like this conversation is just for heterosexual men. No, nah, not at all. Absolutely it's not. for, we talk about healthy people and healthy relationships and things that we need to do in order to not only live in life, but to thrive. Right. So, yeah. right. yeah. I'm talking about black male humans in general. You know, that was the podcast. It was across the board. It was across the board. And I didn't feel any different. And I didn't make any of my clients who identify differently feel different as well. Like we're having the same conversation. How are you feeling? I mean, you're different. You're dealing with a different level. Now you're dealing with family acceptance. You're dealing with friend acceptance. Now you walk into a room and you're dealing with all that stuff too. And like, you're the outcast amongst the people who look like you. So how does that feel? Like, let's, let's talk about that too. And, and this, again, this is a safe space for you to really talk about it. Let's work through that stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. So so just my last question, because um, I'm trying to make that 10 o'clock game, <laughs> uh, basketball game. Cool. I, need okay. I need to decompress somehow. You know what? I At first it was the Celtics and the Blazers. I don't know who in this. Oh, no, never mind. The second game is Lakers-Pelicans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's my Lakers. That's my Lakers. That's my Lakers. That's, and see, that's what we get in the conversations about about you being a fraud, you know what I mean? And so, because I'm trying to understand you from New York, so you got the Knicks, then you in Maryland, you know, so you got the the Wizards slash Bullets, you know what I mean? How you right. a Lakers fan? So, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, and I'm, a, I'm an Eagles fan too. So I'm a Browns fan. No, so you know, born in New York, 
we didn't I didn't have we didn't have TV. We weren't watching what was going on. My father said yeah. he loved the Lakers. So it was like, all right, my dad loves the Lakers. The Lakers just so happened to be winning. They had Magic, my favorite player of all time. Then we got Kobe. Then we got Shaq. And you know, that's how I became a Lakers fan and I've been a loyalist. And as far as football, I like when I first started watching, it was only two teams that had black quarterbacks. It was the Houston Oilers and the Philadelphia Eagles, Randall Cunningham and Warren Moon. Warren so I chose yeah. Randall Cunningham and I said, that's my squad. And we, and it, it's no, it was no reason back then to jump on the Philadelphia Eagles. We ain't had no chips for years. I mean, we had, the, we had, the, you know, the other chips, the 48, 49, and the 60. But they ain't no Super Bowl. Everybody comes at me, you ain't got no Super Bowl. So I just stuck yeah. with my squad. Everybody knows me since the day I turned on TV and chose bigger team. It was between them two. Uh, I hear you, man. I could, I, of course, <laughs> I could ride. I could ride with the Eagles thing, um, clearly, because I'm, I'm from Philly and I'm an Eagles fan. I, I think the Lakers thing, because that's you know, it needs some continuity in there somehow. You know, we taking applications for the Sixers. You know, we, we if you want to give me an application, yeah. I could sponsor you. I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. My sister, my sister went to Temple, so she oh, went okay. to Temple. She played ball, and then Eddie was there with Ed, oh, Eddie Jones. Okay, and Nolan was there, so just like, and then Kobe was in there hooping. I saw him play while he was there. Then he goes to the Lakers. Eddie is at the Lakers. So then Aaron eventually goes to the Lakers. So you know, we, we family right now. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess, man. I I let that go. I let that slide. Hopefully they lose. Brian, my one of my favorite players of all time, outside of AI. Uh, but I, I hope he missed the playoffs because going getting the AFC does nothing. Yeah, um, yeah. That does I didn't nothing. like Brian until he got there. So, and you're a Brian hater. It's, it's, I'm not it's a too hater. much. It's, I'm not a hater. I, I, what to me now, Brian? He's he's golden. He's on the Lakers. I don't like anybody. If you're not on the Lakers, I'm not rocking with you. And he did. He the second. Uh, he is the third, arguably second greatest player of all time outside of Will and Jordan. You can you can acknowledge that, right? No, I don't know. I just you know. your hate your hate won't let you say it, man. I, I dig it. I, I dig he's it. the best forward you, you, to ever play the game. I mean, he's top five. Like I, I think I still you know he's top five. I give him that. He's better. Okay. He's better. Better than Kobe. That's all I need to hear you to say. That's enough for me. We now we we on the same page again. Right. Uh, so, uh, Paul Bashay Williams, listen, man, I definitely appreciate you. Let the people know where they can reach you if you want to say the name of the book again, where they can grab it and promote whatever it is that you want to promote. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. You can find me at Bashay Williams on everything. I have a blog that I still put up um, articles on there. It's BashayWilliams.com. That's B-A-S-H-E-A Williams.com. My uh, practice, private practice, which is in Maryland and D.C., is Hearts in Mind Counseling. You can find it at heartsandmindcounseling.com. Um, a book, Dear Future Wife, A Man's Guide and Woman's Reference to Healthy Relationship. It's on Amazon. It's also on my site, Shop, Shop Bache. Um, IG is Bache Williams. Facebook is Bache Williams. Twitter, LinkedIn is Paul Bache Williams. There's more clinical stuff on there. So, yeah, you can find me every, everything Bache Williams. Okay, cool, cool. And I am Phil underscore Quadify. Let's see, where can you find me? You can find me on Facebook.com slash PhilipMSW. That's Philip with two L's. Uh, what school did you go to? That was East one Tennessee of the State. East, East Tennessee, Tennessee State, okay. And you went there for bachelor's and master's? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Um, what else? You're on my IG, Phil underscore Quadify. You can check out the YouTube channel where this video will be posted. Um, 
and the channel is Quadify, Q-U-A-D-E-F-Y-L-L-C. This will also be available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music. And that is hashtag you good, man. The podcast will pop up. Also, I'm, I'm in the wellness coaching now, holistic uh, wellness coaching. So we're talking about mental and emotional therapy. We're talking about um, fitness training. So you can find me on, on my website, www.quadifyllc dot net um and you can find me on psychologytoday.com is is Philip Roundtree where you know I do offer virtual uh virtual coaching. So I think that's everything. Feel free to grab some merch. This is what anxiety looks like, depression, black healing matters, shout out to Big. Um so no I, I definitely appreciate everybody man for tuning in. Thank you. Yeah. I do want to add I, I'm also oh, on YouTube. Also on YouTube too. I have some videos on there where I talk about relationships. I talk, I answer a lot of questions on YouTube. I have some videos that I'm editing that I'm going to put back up. My man, talk to Mac. What's up, man? He's on here. Um, but, yeah, so YouTube, and I'm also on Psychology Today as well. YouTube is Bashe Williams. Okay. Okay, cool, man. Listen, definitely be in contact.